You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm your host, Tyler, and... This, my friends, is an episode that I have been dreaming about doing since we started this podcast seven years ago. I'm sure all of you out there have been dreaming of listening to this episode for the past seven years. We've been through a lot of highs, man. A lot of highs, a lot of lows over these past seven years. Together here on this podcast, we have shared the thrill of victory, and man, as much as it Sucks to think about it. We've shared that gut-wrenching agony of defeat together as well. I mean, those of you who have been with us from, from the beginning, I know there's not a ton of you because at the very beginning we had like, what, like 20, 30 listeners an episode, but some of you go way back with us. Some of you go back the first year or two. You know who I'm talking to. You know exactly who you are, and you guys know we love you. We love all listeners, new, old alike, but those of you who have been with us from the very earliest days of this podcast, you know, man, like you've been here after the loss to Bama the first time around in 2017. You've been with us after the SEC Championship game in 2018, blowing that game. You've been with us through all of last year, the entire COVID disaster season. You guys have been here with us and you shared those experiences with us. And it's those things, as much as those things hurt, as much as those experiences suck to even go back and even remotely think about. I mean, over the weekend in Indianapolis, you you couldn't go two feet without seeing it. It kept plashing it everywhere on every TV station everywhere. But I actually watched the second and 26 play for the first time since seeing it live in Mercedes-Benz Stadium. I've never been able to go back and watch it play any time. Like, you know, you kind of know you have this kind of gut instinct when it's about to be shown on TV and you kind of just turn away. I've never actually seen it in this weekend. You know, I just kind of couldn't avoid it. It was there. And I felt like we were going to win this game, so I just wanted to soak it in. I wanted to remember it to make these memories, these experiences like this, finally getting over the hurdle. It makes it that much sweeter. And now... Finally, finally, we get to recap and share a national freaking championship. And man, I truly don't even know where to start. I guess we'll start here. We got to start here because we know a lot of you, most of you, 
are probably wondering where Curtis is right now. This is about the time I would be introducing him, right? And I know a lot of you turned in today very eager to hear Curtis eat shovels full of crow. In fact, as one of our listeners suggested, I forget who it was, it was a great suggestion. He honestly needs to like eat an entire actual crow, right? After not only picking against the dogs for the third game in a row, but I mean, he's been leading the charge, man. He has been the like the most vocal person, at least on this podcast, and just consistently and adamantly claiming that we simply could not win a national championship with Stetson Bennett as our starting quarterback. Categorically, that Stetson Bennett could never beat Alabama. And to be honest, you guys know I love the guy dearly. I love Curtis. But I was really looking forward to meeting that crew on, on today's show as well. I really was. Not going to lie there. But, unfortunately... It's just not physically possible for him to be on the show today. Trust me when I say that. After last night, I think he broke something in like his larynx. His voice is gone, like gone. I, I don't. I feel like my voice is kind of gone. I don't know how it's translating over the airwaves here. It sounds bad to my own ears. I hope it sounds okay, but I feel like my voice was okay enough. I had to. I have to project my voice for a living day by day during the week. So I have a little bit more uh, strength built up. I can, I have a little bit more endurance so I can, I can scream bloody murder in a game. And like, you might hear crack a little bit. It sounds like it's going, but it's still there. Not the case for Curtis. His voice is gone right now. Uh, as in like Darth Vader smoking five packs a day bad. And on top of that, he has a legal presentation that he has to do later this week. So he needs to rest his voice and see if he can get it back for that. Uh, I know that's obviously not ideal. I desperately wanted him on this show, and he desperately wanted to be on this show. I, I know I'm giving him a hard time by eating crow, and he told me he's he cannot wait to eat that crow because, as he said, I mean, he wants us to win, of course. You know, he's just trying to be objective. Um, but as he said on the, on the preview episode, like he wanted to be wrong, he wants to eat the crow, and he wanted to be on here on here today to to recap this and relive this memory with everybody. But uh, this honestly was my call because I like, just talking to him. I, I it, there's no way, man. It would it was it would be like the worst podcasting ever. But don't worry, this is absolutely absolutely not the last time we will be discussing this national title. I can promise you that. When you wait 41 interminable years for one of these babies, you damn well better believe we're going to live this one up and break it down from every single angle on this podcast, at least. Uh, This is not going to be one of those 24-hour news cycle deals um, when it comes to our podcast, it's just not going to be, you know, in this day and age, like, you know, big news hits, you know, back 23 years ago, might be the, the story of the century. Now it's like oh, it's 24 hours and we're on to something else. Yeah, that's not happening here, guys. That's not going to happen on this podcast. So Curtis will have his say. He will eat his crow. That I can assure you. I promise you that. Unfortunately, it's just not going to be today. Um, but today you got your boy here. And I apologize for not having this up earlier. I got up at 6 a.m., guys. Drove straight back from Indy today. Um, I actually just got in the door not too long ago. I unpacked, started some laundry, took the rental car back, had to get it back there. And now here I am recording this episode. Uh, I also obviously haven't been able to really give the game a true proper rewatch. I've watched some clips. I've watched some of it on the way back home, um, but I haven't really given like a true proper rewatch the way that I normally would. So today's episode, like this is really just my instant reactions to this national championship victory over Alabama. And, you know, to add, add to it a little bit here, like almost all of you, I'm sure, I'm sure I'm not alone in this. I'm on like, I don't know, man, at best five hours of sleep combined over the last two nights, I just I couldn't go to sleep. 
on Sunday night. I tried, man. I tried really, really hard. I might have got an hour or two, maybe. I was just so wired, man. The energy. It wasn't like I was just going out all night. I didn't go out. I mean, you know, had a good time in Indy, but didn't go out crazy. Wanted to be 100%, at least close to 100% for the game last night. So, um, But I just, I was laying there, man. I tried, man, twisting and turning, but it's just obviously, like, you just, you're so eager for, for something. You want it so badly, so desperate for it. And it's just, honestly, what you live for, what I live for it's tough to go to sleep that night. And last night, obviously, I got back in the hotel room. I don't know. I mean, after one shower, soak it in a little bit on social media, go to bed, and get up at 6 a.m., so a couple of hours. So um, clearly not an 100% headspace right now. Um, just not there. My mind, uh, it's, it's a little blurry, let's say that, or a little fuzzy right now. So there's that too. So if I sound like an idiot today, or I guess... If I sound like more of an idiot than I normally do, that's that. That's what I'm gonna lean on. Okay, that we're we're gonna go with. That's the reason why. It's inevitable that I'm gonna miss something today. I'm gonna gloss over something I meant to talk about. I'm, I'm probably gonna upload the episode in like five minutes. I'm like, oh man, I should have mentioned that. Why didn't I talk about that? It's inevitable. It's gonna happen. But like I said, over the next couple of weeks. We're not going anywhere. We're talking about this national championship, guys. It's not a 24-hour news cycle thing. And we're going to produce more national championship-themed episodes. Um, and we're going to dive more into like the deep dive stuff. We're going to do that stuff as soon as I get a chance to do it. I'm going to go back and give the game a proper rewatch or seven. But today, I at least wanted to jump on here and give you guys my initial thoughts. And um, again, I don't really know where to start. I don't really have notes at all because I just got home and haven't had a chance to sit down and do anything. I, I've been thinking about it you know, since we won the game, but uh, I'm sure I'll be a little bit all over the place today. But let's start here. I, I don't know about you guys. But for me, the emotions really hit me today. This is kind of when I got I got it all up in my feelings today. Last night, it I didn't know how I was gonna respond. I didn't know, but like in the moment, it was just pure euphoria. It was glee, joy, excitement, just this jolt of energy that I've never experienced before throughout my entire body. Today, it's been far more sentimental, and I'm a I'm a sentimental, wear my heart on my sleeve kind of guy in general, and. I kind of thought that might be how I'd be last night. Like I'd be in tears last night, but I wasn't. It was because there was just so much energy. It was just you know flowing through me. But that stuff came today. All the heartstring stuff. It really started to hit today. Uh, last night I was just so excited in the moment. But today on the drive home, reflecting on all the storylines, man, all that's gone into this, and and the struggles against Bama, not just Bama, but just our program struggles to get back to the mountaintop, man. Like we've been so close. We've had opportunities. I mean, I've. I've been open saying, you know, back in the Rick Dare, if we had a college football playoff, a 14 playoff, we probably would have won under one, at least one under Mark Rick. But it wasn't that way, right? So we, we haven't won, won one since 19. We all know that. I mean, we've gone through these times, the second and 26, like I mentioned earlier, 2018, having that lead basically the entire game, blowing it late when Jalen Hurts comes off the bench after having binged the previous year. Like, Alabama's had these storybook endings against us, right? You know, they had obviously. Tua coming off the bench in 2017. Then Jalen Hurts, who was benched for Tua, then comes off the bench in 2018, stuck around, didn't transfer that year, and he saves a day and, and puts them into the Coswell playoff. They've had those storybook endings at our expense. So yesterday, to finally get our moment and have it at their expense, I mean, just to have our moment in general, it doesn't really matter who it was, but like it's just so much sweeter when you have to climb that mount, when you got to beat Bama to do it. I mean, we know what last year was like. We know what the SEC Championship game was like, like a couple weeks ago. And we've had those heartbreak moments, and it has been devastating, at least for me. And I know it has been for most of you guys, too. I mean, 
I don't want to put words in anyone's mouth, but you guys listen to these episodes after these games. I mean, I haven't shied away from it. We come on here after wins and after losses, man, because we feel like we owe it to you guys. We want to be there for you. And you know, you've been there with us. You've been there with me. I've gone to some bad places over the years with some of these losses. Again, especially when it was Bama. I mean, the numbness, the depression, the sadness, the, the lack of energy, it's real. Like, it is a real thing. It's been real for a while, man, when you have those losses. And and then you had the the whole narrative around Kirby Smart, all those storylines, at least in terms of like the national media. Kirby can't win the big one. Nick Saban's Kirby's daddy. Kirby's just a recruiter. You know, Kirby consistently, man, consistently getting disrespected by the national media when they start having conversations and they make their list about the best coaches in America. And we even had, like, after the SEC Championship game, I know it's a very, very, very small group of people. I guess you'd call it a very vocal minority, extreme minority. But there were people out there, you don't really take them seriously, but out there after the SEC Championship game saying it's time to move on from Kirby. Even some of my buddies who I love dearly, it's like, what? And I get we're emotional. We we care. It means something to us. It matters. But, I mean, there are people in the Georgia fan base saying it's time to move on from Kirby. Kirby can't do it. Kirby can't cut. He can't go over the Nick Saban bump. He He can't do it. He can't do it. But... Last night, that all ended. It's over. Now, Bama is still Bama. You know, you look at the, the odds for next year. They're already the odds on favor to win the title. They're going to be really good next year. But we will never again have to hear about getting over the Bama hump. Now, we might lose to Bama next time we play him. Very real possibility. But we've done it. We've climbed that mountaintop. We've surpassed it. We jumped over it, man. And the Bama hump. It doesn't exist for any for us anymore. That storyline is dead. 1980, 1980. How many times you heard that, right? When all of our rivals, they know that, that they have been passed by by Georgia, a team that has won the national title since 1980, and they know it. They know they can't touch us. So what's the only thing they can ever fall back on? Oh yeah, 1980. It's been used against us as, a, as this invective, this insult by all of our rivals for years now, whether it's Florida, whether it's Tennessee, whether it's Auburn, Alabama, all these teams. But that's a thing of the past. Can't use it anymore. I'm sure they'll find something else. That's what rivals do. Can't use that anymore. All that died last night. And in its place, I'm just going to go ahead and say it. I'm going to say it, man. I'm going to put it out there. In its place, we saw the dawning of a dog dynasty. Yeah, I said it. We aren't going anywhere. Hear me when I say this, guys. This is not a culmination. This is a beginning. Just a little tease for you there. I'm not planning on doing a full episode fleshing those thoughts out more, but want to put that out there. However, right now, I do want to focus this episode on this game. So what the heck, man? Let's do it. Let's get to this game. And, I, and let's go back to what I said at the beginning of the season. Let's go all the way back to the preseason. I think we did our preseason picks episode that week of the Clemson game. I think it was like our, our first episode that week leading in the Clemson game. And what I told you on that episode, we picked the, the records for each team in the SEC, the East, the West. We gave you our SEC championship picks. We gave you our playoff picks. And I had Georgia to win the SEC coming off the the COVID year where obviously it was a disappointing year. And some people told me, dude, just being a homer. Charlie gives me crap every year. You always pick Georgia to win the SEC. You always pick Georgia to win the national title. And my response always is, at least under Kirby Smart, that's not crazy. That's not crazy. We're always going to be right there in the conversation. And we have since 2016. Now, yes, first year we weren't there, but 17, 18, 19, 20, now 21. We've been in the conversation. Any given year, we had a puncher's chance. 
We were right there throwing punches, and sooner or later, we were going to land one of them. And this year, we landed it. And what I told you guys at the beginning of the year, that my rationale behind picking George over Bama, as I just didn't think this was a vintage Alabama team. I told you they were very good, extremely talented. Of course, it's all relative. Relative to everyone else in the country, they're better than everyone else in the country, pretty much everyone else. But it's not a vintage Bama team. That's what I said, like literally week one, go back and roll the tape. And I've been saying that all year long. I said it coming to the SEC Championship game. I said it coming into, into this game on our preview episode. And I've stood by it all year long and I stand by it again today. We did not beat the best Bama team. And I'm sure Bama fans, you know, they're going to find ways to rationalize this and make excuses. Of course, we're talking about the injuries and all that. We'll get into that stuff. But I'm sure that's one of the things they'll say too as well. You know, this this was not even supposed to be one of our best teams. Like you couldn't beat our good teams. You know what? It doesn't freaking matter, guys. We beat you. We beat you on the field of play in the national championship. Just deal with it. It is what it is. But I truly felt we were the better team coming in this season. And all year long, we were. I kept telling you guys that. Even coming to the SEC title game, even after that game, after a 17-point loss, the way that went down, as bad as we felt, I still told you I felt like we were the better team. We didn't play like it in week one or in the, in the first round. We didn't play like it in the first round, that first match against Bama. But we were the better team all year long. We were the more dominant team all year long. We had better players. We had more depth. Now, they had an advantage at quarterback, which also which certainly levels things out because that is the most important position on the field. But this was not a typical Bama team. There were holes on this team. And we were just better and didn't prove it in the first round. But we came back and we finally played our game and we showed everyone who the best team in the country was. This was not a fluke. You know, the best team doesn't always win the national championship. It doesn't always work out that way. I mean, I think there were some teams that we had in years past that were better than Bama, and we lost those games. You know, I think in 2000, I don't, 2017, they were more talentless. 2018, we might have been better. We weren't great defensively there. But this wasn't a fluke. This wasn't a fluke. We were the best team in the country all year. And it played out that way. This year, the best team did win the title. And that was the Georgia Bulldogs. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. And so the big question coming out of this game, that, that I mean, based off what I heard, listening to a couple things on the way home and just talking to people after the game and just kind of anticipating what the conversation is going to be also. But the big question after losing the first game, 41-24 in the SEC Championship game, the obvious question everyone's going to be asking 
is what was different this time around? Like, how do we how do we flip the script like that? Lose by 17 and winning by 15, yes, that was kind of a garbage time score, you know, the pick six, but still, hey, it is what it is. And my response to that would be, it's, it's really all about the defense, man. This was a defensive game for us. This, this was the kind of game that we wanted it to be, right? Now, don't get me wrong. Our offense made plays in the fourth quarter when we had to. They came up huge in the fourth quarter. Stetson came up huge in the fourth quarter. But from a big picture standpoint, as I told you all last week, and again, like really for the past month heading into the college playoff, our chances of winning a national title this season and winning this game, beating Alabama, it was going to come down to whether our arguably historic defense, I would argue our historic defense, could slow down this high-powered Bama offense enough to allow us to stay within our offensive wheelhouse, within our offensive comfort zone, and not get forced into a shootout. We saw in the SEC title game, they got a multi-score lead, it became a shootout, we got outside of our offensive wheelhouse, we basically abandoned the run, and that's not what Stetson's built to do, that's not what our offense is built to do, at least it was not this year. Hoping the future it will be, this year it simply was not. So therefore, to win this game, to flip the script as we did, what we had to do is come out and make Bama play our game. They made us play their game in the SEC title game. We couldn't let that happen again. We had to make them play our game. They were going to have to grind out scores, grind out long scoring drives, and win a close, hard-fought contest. And that's exactly what happened. We made them play our game, and we came out on top because that is our game. That's our comfort zone. And in the preview episode last week, you know, Curtis obviously very infamously picked Bama and picked against us for the third straight time going back to the SEC championship game. But I had a different view on it. And look, you know, when you do a podcast like this, you get some right, you get some wrong. I'm not trying to kill Curtis. He gets a lot right. He got the SEC championship game, right? He got that one right. I missed that one. So you get some right, you miss some, you know, it, it is what it is. But this time around, going into this game, I told you guys in that preview episode why I thought we would win. And it really came down to just pure numbers for me. I'm not a numbers guy, like in terms of like math, you guys know, I, I, math isn't my thing. But if you look at the data points, we had 14 data points to operate off of this year. 13 of those data points were examples of flat out dominance by our defense, flat out dominance by our Georgia defense. And then there's that one data point, that one glaring example that you could consider a bad performance in the SEC Championship game against Alabama the first time around, which was clearly outlier. Again, I'm not good at math, but 13 data points to one data point, well, there's a preponderance of evidence there, right? Yeah, there's one outlier, but that's not who we are. That is not who we are. So we were that one game. And we played about as poorly as we possibly could, did a bunch of things that we hadn't done all season long. And it was possible coming into this game that we'd play like that again. And maybe, yeah, Bam, you could just say Bama was our kryptonite and it was just a bad matchup for us. Certainly possible. I was open to that being a possibility. But the odds were against that. It was that simple. The odds were against it. Especially when you factor in that one bad performance by our defense, which is, I mean, let's be real, it's carried us all year long. It's been why we've won games. That one bad performance was largely the result of just a very, very, I'm going to say this nicely. I'm going to try to put this as nice as I can. A very misguided game plan. Is, is that fair enough? I mean, that's the nicest thing I can come up with to, to describe the game plan in the SEC Championship game. A very misguided game plan and just a very misguided approach to defending Bama that, you know, in, in coming to this game, we almost certainly were not going to employ that again in the rematch. 
And I felt with all that in consideration that we were going to win the Super Bowl game on top, and you know, of course, along with the fact that we've just been better all year. We just have. We're just a better team this year. And that's exactly how it played out. You go back to that first game, here's some things that we did in that first game that, that we simply haven't done all year. You know, one of the things I point out last week, foremost among those for me, was that we were uncharacteristically poor in the red area back in December in the SEC Championship game. We had been dominant, as good as anyone in the country all season long, at just bowing our necks when we get in the red zone, when opponents get in the red zone and forcing field goals and not getting up touchdowns. But Bama was able to score touchdowns too many times. Not every time, but too many times in the SEC Championship game, more than other teams had all year long. And this time around, in the national title game, they were one of four in the red zone in, score, in terms of scoring touchdowns. I think we held them to 15 points on four red zone attempts. And there were two other drives where they had the ball in our territory and did not get any points out of those drives. That's Georgia football. That is Georgia defensive football. And we did not do that in the first matchup. Explosive plays. We gave up, by my count, seven plays of 20 or more yards in the first matchup back in early December. Yesterday, we held them to two plays of 20 or more yards. Again, by my count, I'm sure maybe I'm missing something there. Somebody can double check me on that. But based off my rough count there, seven plays in the first matchup, two plays last night. And that's huge. We simply had to force Alabama, as we forced everyone all year. If you're going to beat us, if you're going to score touchdowns on us, you got to go the length of the field and grind it out with long grinding drives. You cannot give up explosive plays. We haven't really done it all year. In the first match with Alabama, we gave up too many explosive plays, too many easy scores, too many quick drives, too many quick strikes. Game got out of hand really quickly, got us out of our comfort zone offensively. We had to press, and then that's all she wrote. The game was over. It's done. But we forced them to go long drives, and they had a scoring drive of 14 plays. They wanted 17 plays. Look, they, they got points on those. That's fine. But when you force them to go 14 plays, 17 plays, you keep the game within reach. Even if you're behind, like we were, nine, six, a half. You keep the game within reach. What I told you guys, we had to stay within a score. Even if we didn't have the lead early, it'd be preferable, obviously, to have the lead early. But even if we didn't, we needed to stay within a score so that we didn't get out of our comfort zone and we didn't start pressing. And that's exactly what our defense was able to do for us. And so how do we do that? I mean, to me, that's the bigger question. Like, how exactly did we do that? What was different this time around? Well, I mean, look, injury-wise, and all the band fans are already pointing at that, and they're whining about it. Look, Jameis Williams going down, John Mechie already being out. That certainly contributed to it. I'm not going to sit here and say, oh, I had no factor. Of course it did. But you know what, guys? I don't want to hear it. Injuries are a part of football. And I know it's tough to deal with an injury in game because you don't have as much time to, pre- to prepare for it. But I'm not going to sit here and, and, and cry any tears for Alabama. Think about all the injuries that we've dealt with this year. Think about the attrition that we've dealt with in the middle of the year. Adam Anderson, our best pass rusher, our most virtual player on defense, poof, just gone in the middle of the year. You know what? We figured it out. We made it happen. Tyke Smith, who was supposed to be our star defender in a position where we had no depth, got hurt in preseason camp, came back, tore his ACL. Boom, out for the year. Playing, and we're end up having to play William Poole, who, by the way, played very, very well, really, really, really improved his game and improved his play significantly from the first matchup. We gave him a hard time. I want to give him some props and some really nice pass breakups. Gave him a few catches here and there. Sure, yes, but it's a tough spot to play, and I thought he played the best game of his career, but we end up having to rely on him, a guy that has really been here for four years and never played any meaningful snaps in his life because of injuries. And was the first drive, second drive of the first game of the season, our starting right guard who, based on people I had talked to coming into the year, I was told that he was the best offensive lineman that we had. And he's out instantly as soon as we start the season. You know what? 
you got to adjust. You got to recover. And we were able to do that. So I don't want to hear it. Injuries are part of the game. It sucks. I hate that for, for the kid and the way it went down. But you got to be able to recover. And they couldn't. But it, it certainly did have a factor. I'm not going to sit here and lie. But we, we also did change some things defensively. We gave them some different looks. We were more aggressive. I don't think that we were all that much more aggressive. Now, we did bring five and six rushers more than we did against Bam in the first matchup, but we also sat back and played more too high safety stuff than I thought we would. I thought we'd see more, especially when Jamison Williams went down, I thought we'd see more one high safety stuff and really try to press them on the outside, play that tough, tight press man coverage in different variations of man, whether it's two under, whether it's cover one, one rat, whatever it might be, different quarters, different kind of quarters variations whatever it might be. I thought you might see more of that, but clearly what our coaches felt come this game is like, look, we know we need to be more aggressive, but we also still want to hold true the principle of just not giving up the big play, which I understand. Like, and I'm okay with that. You can't give up the big play against Alabama. I totally agree with that, but that doesn't mean that you have to sit back there and just play passive defense and play that soft. And I, and I think our coaches had a really good game plan, clearly, coming to this game. We were a little bit more aggressive. I also think we were more intelligent with who we used to mirror Bryce Young and how we try to contain him. We didn't contain him perfectly in the pocket, but we did a much better job of that. Um, and again, I, I did think we played more press and more tight man variations, and we mixed some things up like we were, of course, we're going to have to. But I thought our defensive backs played lights out. Yes, there were a couple of coverage mistakes. Again, the one where Williams actually tore his ACL, I think, he, well, I guess if he tears his ACL, but where he injured himself that was a completely blown coverage there. That was a completely blown coverage. The middle of the field was wide open, and it, it should never have opened that way for him in that play right there. We actually got away with a couple of them. There's one where uh, it was a Bama Bama got inside the five-yard line, I want to say, in the second half, and they tried to fit it into Latu, not the one that Latu caught for the touchdown. We tried to fit one in there to him, and Nakobe Dean came, comes in and swipes ball. It makes a good play there. He came from out of position to make that play. Latu was not his man. It was Channing Tindall's guy. And you can watch it closely. I went back and watched that part. He lost his mind on Channing Tindall. Because Tindall just blew the coverage. You could see he was, his eyes in the backfield, his eyes in the wrong place, poor eye discipline. But thank God Nicobe is just Nicobe Dean. Great awareness, great athleticism, great closing ability. He was able to make that play. But that was a blown coverage. So there were some blown coverages in this game, but not as many as we had in the first go round. And I thought we did make more plays in the ball because we were playing tighter press man coverage than we were the first time around. I had more opportunities to do that. So I was really impressed with how they responded. And even like, I know no Mechi, no Jamison Williams, but they still have five star after five star after five star at the wide receiver position. And we were able to play at a much higher level in the defensive backfield. So I'm going to give this some, give them some props there. Uh, and I'm talking all of them. I mean, William Poole made some plays. Ringo obviously made a big play. Kendrick gave up zero catches on like 60 snaps or 60 coverage snaps, I should say. I mean, he was lights out. Seam was making plays. Chris Smith's making plays. Obviously, had the interception. And so by playing Georgia football, the same way we've been playing Georgia defensive football all season long by just going back to our roots and doing what we do on that side of the ball, that allowed us to play Georgia football on the offensive side of the ball. So let's get to the offense here. Now, it wasn't always pretty. Obviously, that first half, I, I was losing my mind. I was losing my mind. I was absolutely losing my mind. Fortunately, I was able to get some aisle seats for this game. And so just like at the stadium here in Sanford at home, I, when I'm losing my mind, I was able to just get up and walk and just walk away, you know, during the TV timeouts, just pace a little bit, get back in my seats. But I was losing my mind. I was absolutely losing my mind with what we were doing on offense. But the defense was giving us every chance to play and operate within our offensive comfort zone the first half, which I told you was a key to this game. But the problem was in the first half, 
We were self-destructing on offense with penalty after penalty after penalty, stupid play, sacks, dumb stuff. Just dumb, stupid stuff in the first half that kept us off schedule. It was nothing the defense did. You know, first game against Bama, it was, you know, the defense gave too many plays. We got behind and the offense wasn't able to keep up. We got forced out of our comfort zone. But this time the defense was doing its job, doing everything they could to keep us in this game to allow us to operate within our comfort zone. And the offense kept just shooting itself in the foot, self-destructive stuff putting us off schedule and put us in far too many third long situations, which is exactly what got us into trouble the first time around. It was exactly what we could not do this time around. I told you guys that last week. Stetson loved the guy. Stetson Bennett does some really good things for us. He really does in certain situations. When the game is within our control and we can operate within our wheelhouse, as I've kept saying for like a month now, Stetson is the right quarterback for us. When we get out of that comfort zone, and what I mean by that, third long, we get down multiple scores, we have to ban the run game like we did in the in the first game against Alabama. Stetson becomes a liability. He can be an asset when we're in control, when we're in our comfort zone. When we're out of our comfort zone, he becomes a liability. I mean, you look in the first half, through the first half, we were averaging 11 yards to go on second down through the first half, averaging seven yards to go on third down. So we're consistently in second and long and consistently in third and long. And there is simply no coincidence, that's why we had six points at the half. And that's why we go back to the defense. That's why I say, look, the offense had to make plays in the the fourth quarter. And they did, man, they did. But the defense is what kept us in this game and allowed us to be in position in the fourth quarter where we were still able, despite the self-destructive tendencies in the first half offensively, we were still in position to operate within that comfort zone. We never got more than a score down and we were able to do enough because we had better players. We made the plays at the end of the day. And really what I think turned the game in the second half, so at least the the fourth quarter. We came out in the second half trying to run the football. And we were having success. Remember that first drive? We got the ball to open the second half. Two big runs by Zeus right off the bat. Then we try to get cute, try to get fancy. And you get the, the intentional grounding penalty, which, you know, like two or three years ago, that was not intentional grounding. But apparently this year, without any announcement from the, from the NCAA, any official ruling there, they decided, you know, referees, officials kind of just decided they're going to start calling that intentional grounding where there's a, a mix-up. used to be like if there was a receiver like anywhere, anywhere like in the area, like in, in the in – the, 20 mile radius basically of where the ball was thrown if, was, if the receiver's just in that direction they wouldn't call it but the first time I saw them change the way they were calling that this year was was a week two the Auburn Penn State game when they called that on uh, on Penn State and it was like what are you, are you kidding me a very similar play very similar play there so apparently they call that now whatever but we started to try to run the football coming out the second half but we weren't really able to lean on it until we got in the fourth quarter and I told you guys I felt like we would have success running the football. I really did. This Alabama defense is really good. They're top five nationally in rush defense, but I thought we had success when we were able to run the ball in the first half against them in the first time around in the SEC championship game. And now we weren't like gashing them, but we were having enough success, enough success to stay out of third long. And that's what it's about. It's all about you know, getting three, four, five yards on first down and then staying out of third long. That's what we had to do because that's our wheelhouse. And I was screaming about that in the first in the first half, second half, the entire game. Now, the first half, it was just a function of we were shooting ourselves in the foot, we were committing penalties, and we were kind of taking ourselves out of the run game. It wasn't what Bama was doing, it was what we were doing. But the second half, that wasn't the case, especially in the fourth quarter, and we were able to grind the ball on them. And it's exactly what I told you guys was going to happen, because they did this in the first game. It was... it's. 
baffling to me why they were doing I mean, shit, well, maybe not baffling. I understand that Brock Bowers is a beast, but when we would go with 12 or 13 personnel, with two or three tight ends on the field, basically every other team that we played all year has responded to that with heavy personnel. Because if you don't, we're going to run the ball down your throat. Alabama said, fine, just run the ball. We're going to play you with our dying package. They viewed Brock Bowers as a receiver, essentially. And so they were playing, not so not with their dime package, with their nickel package. They were playing when we had two or three tight ends in the, in the in the game. They were playing with their base nickel package. They had Brian Branch out there instead of an extra defensive end, instead of an extra outside linebacker. And they did that in the first matchup. And when we were running the ball before we got too far behind, we had success running against that look. But Bama just didn't want to give it the big play, and I understand that. And so I felt coming this game, if they were going to do the same thing, which I felt like they were going to, because again, if you win the first matchup usually you kind of just stick with what you were doing because it worked for you. I felt like they would probably do the same thing, especially if you look at the game that Bowers had against Michigan. So you get to the game, what happens? We come out two, three tight ends, 12, 13 personnel, same exact look from Alabama. We were not in a position to take advantage in the first half because of the penalties and being in second and third and long. But when we got in the fourth quarter, they were still doing the same thing. And we finally just started to run the ball. I mean, yes, we had the big run by James Cook, which was a huge momentum changing play, obviously. But in the fourth quarter, just the pounding, the four, the five yards, and just moving the chain, staying ahead of schedule, and then being able to work play action off of that. That is what changed the game. That's how we were able to dominate the fourth quarter. It came down in the fourth quarter. I mean, you heard, I'm sure you guys have heard this by now. You saw Nick Saban after the game, you know, in the post-game handshake, told Kirby, you guys kicked our ass in the fourth quarter. And that's exactly what happened because we decided it's time to run the freaking football. And we didn't shoot ourselves in the foot. We didn't commit penalties and get ourselves, you know, behind the change right off the bat. And we were able to work play action off of that. And they didn't change until it was too late. And then they started to change when we were running the ball on them and they took out their, their nickel package and brought in their heavy package, the heavy personnel like Michigan was doing. Then we went play action and we were able to hit the plays vertically down the field. That is Georgia football. That's how we win football games, guys. You know, it, it's, I'm going to go back to our, our good friend, Cliff. Great friend of the podcast. We love Cliff. We love all you guys. But Cliff's been with us for a long time. You know, and Cliff said something that kind of stuck with, stuck with me at the beginning of the year. And we've been talking about past couple of years how football's evolved. It's become an offensive game. And you win with offense now. And, like, you still have to have a good defense to win championship. But, like, maybe the old adage of defense wins championships isn't so true anymore. Maybe it's not that true of a maxim anymore. But this year, at least for one year, we proved you can still do it. You can still do it. Because, guys, Georgia just won a national title. We just won a national title going for 364 yards in the national championship game. We held Bama. Yeah, I know Bama had like almost 400, 399 yards, but we held them to 4.7 yards per play. They had like 85 plays in this game, guys. Like That was like 87 plays in this game. 4.7 yards per play. Only three times in the last three seasons has Bama been held to 4.7 yards per play or less. And this is one of them in the biggest of the possible settings in the national championship game. This was quintessential Kirby Smart Georgia football. And I know not everyone loves it. He's gotten killed for that over the years by a lot of fans who want us to open things up and look like Ohio State on offense. And I get that. I, hey, look, you know, I'm as guilty as a lot of people out there. I want to see us open it up more. And I think Kirby, again, I go back to the beginning of the season. I think Kirby wants that too. But obviously the injury to JT really changed things. We kind of had to revert back to what we'd been the past couple years. I don't think that was the plan coming this season, but we had a lot of injuries at receiver. You have injury at quarterback. And so, you know, early to mid part of the season, we had to kind of just remake what our vision of this offense was going to be and just kind of go back and lean on what we'd been in the past. And with this defense, the best defense that we've ever had in my lifetime 
it worked out. So we proved that, yes, defense can still win championships. Absolutely. Now, you got to be good enough offensively. You got to make plays, but you can still win a championship with elite defense. You don't necessarily have to have this high-powered, high-flying offense. Now, I would argue our offense is very good to potentially elite. Now, I know it's not based off you know, 364 yards, but if you look at the efficiency metrics all throughout the year, we're top 10 in just about every major offensive efficiency metric. We just don't run up-tempo, run a lot of plays, that kind of thing. Like We hit really high, highly explosive plays off play action. We've been extraordinarily efficient all year long. We just don't put up like the video game 670-yard numbers. We don't, you know, Stetson's not going to throw for 421. So it can be a little misleading, but this was a quintessential Kirby Smart Georgia football game, and we won it our way. The way that all those talking heads said that you couldn't win anymore. Said Georgia was trying to play dinosaur football and you couldn't do it anymore. And we said, eh, hold our beer and watch this. You're a podcast listener and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. But all right, guys, I, I, I got a couple more things I want to get through here. There's just so many players I want to talk about. So I'm just going to go back to like the old school game ball stuff here. Uh, I got a couple game balls I want to hand out. I'm sure, again, I'm going to miss somebody here because I just, it's kind of spur of the moment. don't really have any notes operating off of. Just some guys reflecting on this on the way home, thinking about it all night long. Some, some names I want to throw out there. And again, we'll talk a lot more about this game in the coming weeks. Curse get back on here, hopefully later this week, and we'll get his thoughts as well. We'll talk a lot more in detail about it. But uh, I'm going to start with... Um, the offensive MVP of the game. I'm going to open with Stetson Bennett here, get my first game ball. I got a lot of game balls to give out. Now, was Stetson fantastic in this game? Was he superb? Was he elite? No. None of those words ever really describe Stetson. That's never been Stetson, right? I've always said, and I said it last week again, the best way I can describe our offense with Stetson and just Stetson's role on this team is that we can win a lot of games when Stetson is a complimentary piece. We can't really win games when Stetson has to be the feature piece of the offense and the team. Stetson can absolutely help us win a lot of football games. He can absolutely contribute to that and do a lot of good things for us. But we're not really built to win games because of Stetson Bennett. And we didn't win this game because of Stetson Bennett. And, and, and it's an incredible story. So I know that might end up being what goes down in history in the storybooks, you know, 20, 30 years from now when the story is being told. But we didn't win this game because of Stetson Bennett. We won this game because of our defense. Now, our offense did make plays in the fourth quarter when we had to. I guess going back to the end of the third quarter, what was a, a buck 20 left in the third quarter, Zamir runs in that that one-yard touchdown run to put us up 13-9. I think in the span of about 13 minutes, we scored 18 points late in that game. So they absolutely responded when they had to. But we won this game because of our defense. But I do want to just sit here for a second, and I just want to say how much I love and appreciate Stetson Bennett. No, Stetson is absolutely not the most talented quarterback that we've ever had. Probably the least talented quarterback that we've ever had. I mean, maybe more talented than Hudson Mason. Maybe, maybe more talented than, than Joe Cox. Maybe not the least talented we've had in my lifetime, but certainly not one of the two or three most talented quarterbacks that we've had during my lifetime of watching Georgia football. 
But Jesus Christ, man, how can you not admire the holy hell out of this young man? I mean, the entire fan base, literally the entire fan base outside of like his parents and maybe his close friends, and probably even his close friends behind his back, especially coming out of the SEC Championship game, talking about how like there's no way. He's got to be benched. And I, and I am guilty that I did an entire episode after the SEC Championship game laying out my thoughts on Stetson. What I, basically what I just said, that Stetson is a lot of good things for us. I think he's a lot better than the average Georgia fan does. But after the SEC Championship game, I felt that we had to do more against Bama offensively. And I thought it was time to make the move to JT. I was wrong. Now, I will defend myself a little bit and say that I have said all along since going back to midseason that I felt we could win a national title with Stetson Bennett as long as things stayed within our comfort zone offensively. And it didn't do that against against Alabama in the SEC Championship game. This game, it did. But I felt that we could. Was it the most likely outcome? Was it more likely with Stetson than with JT? I I still don't know the answer to that. And, And we never will. We never will know the answer. It's okay. You know what? We don't need to know the answers. We know... At least in this reality, we won the national championship. The other reality, what could have been, it doesn't matter. This is what is, and this is what we wanted, right? But I felt that we could win one with him. I, I truly felt that way, and I, I was vindicated there. Again, you don't always get them right. You know, when you're on a podcast like this, you know, you, you throw a lot of ideas and thoughts out there, and you miss a lot of them, but I guess that one, I, I got right there. But this story is just flat out incredible. I mean, it's truly incredible. Like, it's one, and it's one of those things I don't even know if we tr- like we appreciate it to a degree, but I don't think we really truly appreciate it in the moment. Like, like when Rudy, like that. I, I'm curious. Like when the whole Rudy thing was going on, like in real life at Notre Dame. Like, and I know it's based on a true story. How true that actually was. Like all the little details. I'm sure there's obviously some liberties taken by Hollywood there. But like the Notre Dame fans, like when that was going on, like did, did they really appreciate the Rudy story as much as we do now? Like when you go back and watch the dramatic retelling of the movie, I don't know. It's, it's one of those things. I don't. I don't know if we truly, really appreciate Stetson in this story, the way it played out the way that I think that we really should and the way that a lot of people probably will in popular telling, you know, 10, 15, 20 years down the road. And heck, they literally might make a movie out of Stetson Bennett's life. I mean, it's crazy, or at least his career coming to Georgia. I mean, it's crazy, truly insane to think about what he's gone through. And I'm not going to go through every little detail. As you guys know, it. they've gone through it plenty over the past month. You don't need me to retell all that, but it's insane. And like the way this game played out, so here's one thing that kind of just sticks out to me with Stetson. The way this game played out is kind of like a microcosm of Stetson's entire career here at Georgia. If you really think about that, right? Game didn't start out so hot, wasn't looking good, didn't look like he had much of a chance to do anything against this Alabama defense. Got knocked down with that fumble. I mean, God, the fumble. He was trying to make a play. God, he was trying. He was fighting, man. He was fighting. He should have taken the sack. And that's what we talk about with Stetson too, right? You know, there's some good and there's some bad. And the bad is there's always like, there's every game, there's a play or two where he hurts you with a turnover-worthy play. Sometimes it doesn't end up hurting against Michigan. He had that one turnover-worthy throw. Should have been picked. It wasn't. We got away with it. First round against Bama, we didn't get away with him. We didn't get away with this one. But Stetson, like his entire career, go back to last year, gets a starting job, loses the starting job, his third string coming into fall camp, fights his way back. People were complaining about Carson Beck was number two. Kirby said he was number two, but then you leapfrog him for Stetson Bennett. Like, what? People were complaining about that, and he just kept fighting. And that's exactly what happened this game. He got knocked down, but he picked himself back up off the mat and kept fighting kept grinding and he made it happen just like he's done throughout his career here at Georgia and dear God you gotta love him for it you gotta love him for it and look do I have a soft spot for the underdog story admittedly very much so I absolutely do it's kind of what I was myself growing up and obviously I didn't achieve that kind of success and those kind of heights 
but I had to put everything. I was never the most talented guy in really anything I ever did growing up. So I had to work really hard at it. So yeah, like personally, I have a, I have a, I have a soft spot for guys like that. So um, just love Stetson Bennett, man. I appreciate him and everything he's done and the way he's fought and, and what he represents, what he stands for and the and the example that he has set for a lot of young Georgia kids out there. I, I just, I can't say enough about the young man. So there's my little Stetson waxing eloquent moment. Let's move on here, though. I'm sure a lot of you guys are rolling your eyes. You're done with that. Um, obviously, Keely Ringo. So some of the obvious ones out of the way here. Keely Ringo, game-clinching interception for a touchdown there, that pick six. Unbelievable. I, I lost my mind 48 different times that game. I I I lost my mind. I, I, I lost it. I was, you know, I did a cartwheels out of the Rose Bowl back in the day. I think Charlie outed me on that. She put that on social media once upon a time. Might still be out there. I don't know. Didn't do that this time around, but I did like the pommel horse, you know, gymnastics move, you know, pommel horse there on the uh, railing of the aisles. Literally, I had aisle seats just running up and down the aisles there, hugging, jumping, doing whatever I could. Man, I just, I just I didn't, didn't know what was happening, honestly. Just insane stuff. So, Keely Ringo there. Now, he um he, he got beat for a couple of plays. Now, though, I will give him one big play here, too. Now, it was good and bad. So, it was a big 60-plus yard catch by Law 2, catch and run. He had inside leverage. He tried to undercut the route, missed the ball, didn't get it, allows Latu to run up the field, but he chased him down, makes the play there, and makes a touchdown saving play, holds him to a field goal there. So in retrospect, that ends up being a huge a huge play. Yes, he gave up the like his play there, trying to undercut the ball, allowed the, the play to be made, but the hustle to make that tackle and get him down before he scored a touchdown, that actually ended up being a huge play. So I'm going to go Keely Ringo there, obviously, Jalen Carter blocking the field goal. And just Jalen Carter, I mean, I know he's going to get a lot of attention for blocking the field goal. Again, momentum changing play. But it's not just that. Jalen Carter, they could not handle Jalen Carter. They could not handle Jalen Carter all night long. Really, no one's been able to handle Jalen Carter all year long. But that guy's a monster. I'm so glad that he'll be back next year. Got to give him some props there. A.D. Mitchell. Guys, was that the greatest catch in Georgia football history? I know like the run Lindsay catch probably still up there but it's got to be one or two man like at least in my lifetime so I'm trying I'm trying to think my lifetime I was thinking about this on the way home today so you've got like the Michael Johnson catch against Auburn and put us in the SEC championship game in 2002 huge um, for me Malcolm Mitchell's catch in 2012 against Florida to seal that game to win the East put us in the SEC championship game for a shot at Bama and whoever wins that game is going to get the right to go destroy Notre Dame and win a national title and we obviously fell just short but Malcolm Mitchell's catch the catch and run against Florida sealed that game. Obviously, Jarvis Jones had a lot to do with that win too, but that was a huge play. Really, in my opinion, one of the more underrated plays in at least recent Georgia football history. But like touchdown catches? I mean, it's got to be one or two right up there, run, Lindsay, run. Like literally in Georgia football history, as far as I know, I'm not an old timer, so I'm sure someone's thinking something out there like, hey, Tyler, what do you think about man? Let me know. Like For for me, this is this has got to be one or two. It has to be. Like you consider... The degree of difficulty. I mean, Stetson put the ball out there. You got to give Stetson credit for recognizing that it was a free play and moving just enough to the, out of the pocket. And and James Cook, by the way, what a crazy, ridiculous blitz pickup to allow that play to happen. Christian Harris was a free runner, essentially. James Cook, at the last seconds, able to redirect and pick up the block and give Stetson time to get that ball off. And it wasn't a perfect throw, slightly underthrown. It was on his inside shoulder, the back shoulder, but he was able to track the ball. Mitchell's up, gets and He struggled with drops at times this year, but he's got great ball skills. I've always been told that, and I've seen that from him. And he's able to go back, make the play. Jackson never really made a play on the ball, didn't really turn around, trying to make a play on the ball. 
And uh, man, talk about losing your mind. Lost my mind there. Absolutely lost my mind on that one. So A.D. Mitchell, massive. Absolutely massive there. I'm going to go Nolan Smith also. I thought Nolan Smith played lights out on the edge. I thought he played great against the run. I thought even though he didn't get a ton of sacks, obviously he had the one to seal the game, the last play of the game. But I thought he did a good job at least affecting Bryce Young. And look, we only had like one sack of Young, I think, going into that last drive. But it wasn't just that. It didn't have to be sacks. It just, we had to affect him more. And we did. Bryce Young is showing, like, going back to the Auburn game, he's showing that if you can just affect him, he can get flushed a little bit there in the pocket. And even though we didn't always get him on the ground, because he's really hard to get on the ground, he's very elusive, we were able to do enough to affect him. And that's what we had to do in this game. So, got to get Nolan Smith credit. And Nolan, especially with Adam Anderson going out, Nolan's playing a ton of snaps. And just played lights out, man. Really proud of that guy. Running backs, Zamir White and James Cook in particular, I thought played outstanding. It's a really good Alabama rush team. Look, I know that um, we only had 140 yards total rushing. We also had 24 yards, uh, minus 24 yards in sack yards. Lad McConkey had minus two yards on a rush. So you take our top two backs, Zeus and James Cook, they combined for was it 161 yards on 18 carries against the top five rush defense in the country. That's getting it done. And again, I thought we could do it. I thought we would be able to do it with the way they're going to play us when we were in 12 and 13 personnel, which we, which we have been using a lot lately. And I think we should because our running backs and our tight ends are our best weapons on offense. I, I truly believe that. So we had to do it and we took advantage of it, especially in the second half. And um, it absolutely worked out well for us there. And they were running hard, man. Zeus showed a really good vision. He actually a little wiggle. Um, that, was, that was Zeus at his best. That was Zeus at his absolute best in the biggest moment. So shout out to Zeus, shout out to James Cook there. And finally, I got to give my last game ball to the headman himself, Kirby Smart. The monkey is officially off the back. And all this junk, all this talk about, yeah, but, yeah, but he can't get over the Bama hurdle. Saban owns Kirby. Kirby's just a recruiter. I remember, guys, it was about a year and a half ago where the entire college football media was giddy telling you how much better of a coach Dan Mullen was than Kirby Smart. Just gleeful in their proclamations of how much better Dan Mullen was than Kirby Smart. Not not just use that example because that was obviously the the rival, the number one rival there. But he's always been disrespected, in my opinion, always. He's always been like, you know, one of those guys like, yeah, you know, top five, top 10-ish, but I'd put Ryan Day ahead of him. I'd put Lincoln Riley ahead of him. And I'm always sitting there saying, y'all crazy, man. Y'all are absolutely freaking crazy. And last night was 100% total vindication for Kirby Smart. This man just gets it. He's a program builder. He's an elite recruiter. He's an elite defensive mind. He's an elite developer of talent. He's an elite developer of men. He is an elite representative of our university. And I will say it until I'm blue in the freaking face. I am so beyond happy that Kirby Smart decided to come home and he is the head football coach at the University of Georgia. And I just hope to God that he stays until the day he dies. And I got to also say this about Kirby. The only person on this team to get criticized more than Stetson Bennett this season was Kirby Smart for the decision to continue to keep trotting Stetson out there as QB1. And he got killed for it by the national media, by local media, by his own fan base. And you know what? It proved to be the right decision. Now, maybe we could have won it with JT. That's certainly possible. But Kirby made a decision. He stuck with it, stuck by his guy, stuck with his conviction, did not let the noise affect him, and we won the national championship. And guys, he knew. He knew 
sticking with Stetson was going to create a firestorm of criticism for him. Kirby Smart is a very intelligent man. He firmly understood that. Trust me on that. He is very well aware of the narrative surrounding him and the quarterback position. You know, in his public pronouncements, he feigns as though he doesn't hear the noise and he doesn't know what the narrative is. He doesn't know what the storylines are about him and his handling of the quarterback position. That is one million percent coach speak. He knows the narratives. He's tuned into these things. And he knew with a narrative that already surrounded him and his and the perception of his inability to handle the quarterback position appropriately, he knew that sticking with Stetson, a former walk-on over a former five-star prospect who the vast majority of the fan base had convinced themselves that he was the savior of the program, he knew that playing Stetson over JT once JT got healthy was going to be controversial. I, As I've said in the past, I don't know if he always handled the messaging as well as he could have and needed to, but the decision to stick with Stetson throughout the season when he was playing well and the team was rolling, we were winning games, that was a gutsy decision. Because if it did not work out, he was going to get murdered in the press, in the national press, local press, in his own fan base. And those questions were going to reach a fever pitch about Kirby Smart. Can he ever win the big one? Is he what's holding back George? Is it time to consider moving on from George? You started to hear little peeps of that coming out of the SEC Championship game. But he stuck to his guns. He stuck to his convictions. He stuck to what he believed. And we won a national title because of it. So a massive tip of the cap to the head man who put us in a position to end this 41-year national title drought. But all right, guys, that's all I got for you today. My voice is it's painful at this point, and I gotta again. I, I kind of I have to project my voice for a living, so I gotta do that tomorrow. Go right back to work after a couple of days off. So uh, I'm gonna get out of here. I again, I, as I said at the outset of the show, I know I'm, I've missed probably a ton of things here. I know as soon as I upload this episode, I'm gonna be like, oh my God, how did I not talk about this? How did I not talk about that? It's gonna happen, but it's all good because we're gonna be back later this week. We're gonna talk more national championship stuff. We're gonna do a mailbag episode. So if you haven't already, send us any and everything you want us to talk about, anything I missed on today's episode that you wanna hear us talk about, bring it on, let us know, and we will do our very best to cover. We'll get Curtis back on here. We'll have him break down his thoughts and we will give him shovels full of crow, literally shovels full of crow. And I might or might not make him actually eat like an actual crow. We'll see if they can make that happen. I don't know if that's actually like safe, but we'll find out. But what a night, what a year, what a ride. It is great to be a Georgia Bulldog. Thank you guys for being with us on this ride all year long. I know I say this probably too much, but I mean it when I say it. We love you guys. We love each and every one of you. Thank you so, so much for all the support throughout, not just this year, but all the years that we've been doing this show. We do appreciate every single one of you. And um, we're just getting started. Just like the program, just getting started, guys. Dog Dynasty, this podcast is not going anywhere. We'll be with you all offseason. We've got a ton more national title talk coming your way over the next couple of weeks. So make sure to check back with us, guys. And as always, and maybe more than ever before, go dogs! <laughs>